So I will be reading Luke 10, 38 through 42, and John 11, 17 through 27. And at the end, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if y'all could say, praise be to Christ, that'd be pretty great. So, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And then John 11, 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So there are a lot of things that are interesting about being like standing in this part of church at this point in church, but one of them is that somebody left their glasses up front. So if these are yours, I'm just going to leave these down here afterwards. I've been looking at them for three weeks and forgetting to say anything. And now I'm dizzy because they are not mine. <laughs> and I have my contacts in. So most of the time that I hear someone preach on that first text that Olivia read about Mary and, and Martha of Bethany, interaction with Jesus, it's basically like hospitality is not as spiritual as spirituality. We need to be really clear about something. If there's no Martha in this story, Jesus doesn't get to eat that day. That's a problem. And I'm not going to preach it that way, though there is a, a spiritual component to the importance of spiritual practices in that. This is not a comparison. Um, but we do have things to notice and to learn about their interaction. And I wonder if part of Martha's question, so she says, so she says to Jesus, do you not care that my sister is not helping? And we can Picture her in the kitchen and picture Mary sitting down here and we can side with one or the other. But I think part of her question doesn't have as much to do with hospitality or even other spiritual practices as it is, where am I supposed to be and where is my sister supposed to be? See, Mary was adopting the posture of a uh, trainee of a rabbi. And so I think Martha's not only frustrated, as the text tells us, but she's also wondering, where am I supposed to be and where is Mary supposed to be. I do think that spiritual practices are important, 
And I think that sometimes when we preach on a text like this, or when I preach on a text like this, perhaps when we hear a sermon on this, it kind of sounds like spiritual, certain spiritual practices are more profound than other spiritual practices. And I don't know about you, but I feel like when I hear a sermon on it, it's the spiritual practices I'm not as good at that sound like the more spiritual ones. I don't know what it is. Is it that we expect to always be taken out of our comfort zone? I think that there's an importance sometimes in being taken out of our comfort zone, but there are a lot of kinds of spiritual practices, and they matter. What do you have scheduled this week? You have corporate worship. Great job showing up for corporate worship. Those of you that are online, I don't know how much that matters. The scripture does not tell me whether it matters that you're watching or not, but we're glad you're here. What else do you have this week, though? What's in your calendar? Anything? I have this problem, and it's really annoying because I'm a professional Christian. I'll write prayer into my calendar, and then someone will say, can you meet at this time? And I'm like, is it as important that I pray as meet with this person at this time? And I get distracted from something that I know is true and that I think you know is true, which is why you're in church this morning, which is that we need these spiritual practices to avoid the over-distractedness that was happening in Martha's heart in that moment. And so I wonder what's in your calendar this week. If you have your calendar, you're not going to offend me if you program in a Wednesday noon time of prayer. And I want to remind you of something that I hope you know is true, or perhaps tell you for the first time. Those of you that are good at silence and good at sitting the way that, that Mary did here and in another text, good. I'm so glad. But some of you, that's not a good spiritual practice for you. doesn't mean learning the skill is unimportant. But for you, a spiritual practice is a Bible study where other people are talking and you get to interact with them. And some of you are like, I do not want to go to a Bible study. They stress me out the way people talk about things. And some people know a lot and some people don't know a lot. My point is that spiritual practices are important and I wonder if you have place in your calendar for them this week. Do you know where? Jesus talked about the importance of a prayer closet. Jesus also sat and talked with his friends. His followers sat and talked with one another and learned to pray as he taught. Do you know when? For me personally, I'm continuing to learn that a time in the morning is very beneficial to me and not enough. By the early afternoon, I'm starting to feel overly distracted too. And I need more spiritual practices, not necessarily more time either. I'm not saying like you have to have 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at lunch and 20 minutes in the afternoon. I am saying that the quiet time model in and of itself, for me, doesn't give rest to my heart all day. Maybe it does for you. So as Martha asks Jesus to make her sister help her, I want to encourage us that spiritual practices matter. There's another thing that Martha's asking. In addition to, can a woman sit before you as rabbi, it's also, what about my skill set? There's this, this thread in Christianity, and I think it's, it's probably in all aspects of Christianity, and it's that some uh, gifts and circumstances and affections, meaning callings, are more spiritual than others. So if I'm a pastor and you work in insurance, it's important that you do that and it pays the bills, but it's less spiritual than what I do. It's profoundly not true. I play basketball with a bunch of guys, and one of them works from home, 
for the Hartford, and pretty much every time he leaves, he goes, let's get excited about insurance. And that's how everyone responds. But let me tell you something. As someone whose uh, spouse was very sick a few years ago, insurance is really important. I would love to not have had to make those phone calls assuring them a third and a fourth time that we did not have secondary insurance. Jared, I told Alicia two weeks ago. Alicia, I told Janet four weeks ago. I'm making these things up. I didn't lose my temper, but I did have to call them over and over and over. What is my point? Your work matters. There are certain things that you're gifted at that other people are not gifted in. There are certain things that you care about that other people do not care about. I'm so glad we have people from the church that can go minister to the homeless in Hartford on Saturdays. Not all of you can do that, circumstantially or by affection. And you're not all called to it, though some of you are. And I'm worried that we think that certain things are more significant than others. Teachers, doesn't it feel like kind of the same thing day after day some weeks? And yet I can tell you the name of my second grade teacher, Mrs. Lane. She was great just like you and you and you and the rest of you that are teachers. Are you in marketing or sales? Does it feel silly whether you sell another thing or not? Commerce is part of the way our culture works. And yeah, it's imperfect, but it matters. Your specific gills, gifts, gills, wow. That's one I, that's a, that's a slip I've not made before. So you're all fish in this illustration. Don't try and extend it, just bring it back. Martha was good at serving Jesus, and she got, what does it say? She was distracted with much serving, and so she went up, and she embedded in the question is both, can a woman follow you in all the ways, and also, do you care about all of these gifts and, and circumstances? Are they all meaningful? And they are. Martha followed Jesus, and she's wondering how far she gets to follow Jesus, and she wasn't alone. She asks Jesus good questions. She says clear things to Jesus. I'm getting the impression that she um, was a pretty strong-willed person, probably saw a lot of details that not everybody saw. Are you familiar with John chapter 11? Before Lazarus comes out of the tomb, she reminds Jesus that it's going to be smelly. So she's the one that like saw some details that not everybody saw. And there are all these negative ways that we talk about this personality type, especially people like me that are so disorganized. But I'm learning, we need you. You people that actually see the details and keep the things organized and are willing to ask the extra questions and are willing to press. She presses Jesus here in Luke chapter 10 and again in John chapter 11. And I've mentioned, as in February, we're looking at the questions that uh, Jesus asks women, and one of the reasons is the barn, by the letter of the law, has always had women in every office in the church but it has not always had women fill in every position in the church, such as this one, or serving communion. And I think we need to be a little more consistent about that. And one of the things that was so meaningful to me in my study about this is the fact that, and bear with me for a second, I'm actually going to talk about interpretive schemes of the Bible, and you're like, this is not why I came to church. I'm only going to talk about it for a minute, but it is important. The New Testament opposes slavery. But... The context of the New Testament was one where slavery was part of the commerce, not like the chattel slavery that we often think, though it was still evil and people were still enslaved. So when the New Testament opposes slavery, 
it's doing so in a very subtle way. So you'll read descriptions of how masters are supposed to treat their slaves and how slaves are supposed to respond to their masters. But that doesn't mean that the is that any human be enslaved to any other human. See the book of Philemon and all the ways that Paul gently but clearly states that the end goal is freedom. It's a similar interpretive scheme or hermeneutic to believe that while in the culture women had less rights than men, the end goal for a follower of Jesus is full equality. So you take a statement like, I allow no woman to teach or have authority over a man, which is in the New Testament, and there are about two others that are like that, and then you take Joanna in Luke chapter 8 and see that she was not only a follower of Jesus, but funded the ministry. And Mary Magdalene did that and was the first witness of the resurrection. And Martha was a follower of Jesus, and so was her sister Mary. And so as we hold these things in tension, but understand that the New Testament is not a... Um, block that isn't pointing somewhere else. The New Testament is the story of God's pursuit of his people, the incarnation of Jesus, the rise of the early church, a description of the end times in Thessalonians and Jesus and Revelation, and pointing us towards a better world. In that world, women are equal. Let me say it this way. When in doubt in the New Testament, the answer needs to tend towards freedom. And these texts are part of how I came to be convicted about this. So I was looking for an image of Joanna and Susanna and Mary Magdalene, and I wonder if it's me that is the problem. I wonder if it's like my search history that always ends up with 19th century white European women. And the reason I didn't want that for this picture, go ahead. The reason I didn't want that for this picture is not only because they weren't that, but all the pictures make it look like Joanna and Susanna and Mary Magdalene are young and they're very shy and careful. But Luke chapter 8 tells us they were some of the primary funding people behind Jesus' earthly ministry. So at the Patriots game, they're in Robert Kraft's box. These are the ones behind, at the, at the Democratic or the Republican National Convention, they're the ones in the back, and the glass is over, and you can't see them, but they're pretty important to the mission. So it wasn't just Martha, it wasn't just Mary. And Martha's asking about roles. When she, when she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She's wondering, is Mary supposed to be here or just supposed to be in the kitchen? She was over-distracted, and that's why I opened the sermon talking about the importance of spiritual practices, because they're essential to us sensing the promises of God. But it's not the only thing that's happening in the text. She's wondering where she's allowed to sit. And when the, the elders were studying this, we read a book on the egalitarian position, we read a book on the complementarian position, and then we read an argument by Gordon Hugenberger. kind of wish that was my last name. It's not a fun last name. And he separated out two issues that I didn't realize I had been holding together in my mind, which is offices in the church and marriage roles. And he said, these are different. And I was like, oh, right. And, and let's go ahead and talk about Ephesians 5, one of perhaps the least cool sections of Scripture for 2019, 
What is the role of a man who's married? It's to be submissive to the Holy Spirit, out of affection for Christ. What does that look like? Self-sacrifice and unconditional respect. What is the role of a woman who's married? Submission to the Holy Spirit, verse 21, out of affection for Christ. Self-sacrifice is not mentioned. Unconditional respect is mentioned. It's mentioned for the man. And one of the things that I, I don't know if you've noticed this about me, I really don't like to stereotype. Do you guys ever hear this one? Men are like a uh, microwave, women are like a crockpot. I heard that one growing up to describe men and women. And first of all, uh, it's not true. Second, you're not an appliance, any of you. <laughs> Second of all, I know a lot of people in relationship that are the opposite. And that kind of message, that kind of assumption, that kind of stereotyping can harm them. If you have been in a relationship, regardless of whether you're married, if you've been in a relationship for more than a month, you know that every single human is different. Your human that you're married to is probably very different than mine. And that's why the text in Ephesians is so broad. Submit to the Spirit out of reverence for Christ. Learn your specific rhythms of unconditional love and unconditional respect, which will look like self-sacrifice. And it will take work because you are wired differently. And we still have the Scripture's encouragement. And you know, when we talk about this in the church, we oftentimes imply something that's really untrue which is that if you're married, you have a greater spiritual status than a single person. Not only is that not true, Paul actually says single people will often have a greater role in the kingdom. I, don't, I hope that I don't do that here, and if I do, please let me know, be gentle about it, but I'd like to know. Because Jesus and the Apostle Paul say, your marital status is not part of your status as a follower of me and your agency in the kingdom. Martha's asking about roles, and she's asking through the lens of, Lord, do you not care? I love that. I love that question. And I wonder when the last time is that you asked Jesus if he actually cared about something going on in your life. When was it? Don't shout it out. Just think about it, you know, amongst yourselves. I love that she's willing to ask him. Because our relationship with Christ is to be one of intimacy and trust. Which means we say, whether the issues seem big or small in someone else's mind, do you care? Do you not care about this? There is no issue in your life. There is no circumstance that we ought not to say to him, do you not care? If and when you are able to pray this way, you will sound like a psalmist. Interacting with someone who loves you, who understands your story, and who knows that it is an act of profound faith to pray as you actually experience life. Martha's not praying here, but her way of relating to Jesus is so direct. And ours are so antiseptic by comparison, aren't they? I don't know if that's the right adjective. You know what I mean, though, right? Right? Like, we're so much more careful than she is. 
the God of the world who has pursued you and loves you and likes you. And here's what I get to say because I believe the Holy Spirit is living and active and even now assuring your heart and your mind that God loves you if you're a follower of him. When you say, Lord, do you not care? Just pause. Because I believe from the Testament of Scripture that the Holy Spirit in that moment will give you a sense of his assurance and love and affection. Martha followed Jesus and she asked about roles and then she asked about death and the gospel. I, this, this section in John chapter 11 is so interesting. The first part of it, Jesus, is gonna explain, Jesus explains to the disciples why he's going to wait. And then Martha comes out and she asks some questions. And I kind of get the impression she could really get some things done. And the way I get that impression is the question that she asks Jesus, she then goes and gets Mary to ask him the same question or say the same thing to him after she says it. I don't know how familiar you are with the text. It's not part of what Olivia read, but she said, says to Jesus, I know if you had been here, my brother hadn't died. And then she goes and she gets Mary and says, Jesus wants to talk to you, though we have no record of Jesus saying, I want to talk to Mary. And then Mary says the same thing that Martha said. I think Martha was a pretty capable woman. And she asks Jesus about death and the gospel. And I want to point out that the Holy Spirit directed Mary, Jesus' mom, not this Mary, this is Mary of Bethany, to give some of the first theological words of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit directed Mary Magdalene to be the first witness of the resurrection And here, Martha of Bethany is a bridge between the first words about the incarnation of Jesus and the last words that he has risen for Mary Magdalene. Those are not the last words. And yet, I I think that's interesting. And yet, if those three women are standing here, what they would say is, don't be distracted by the beauty of that and miss the truths we were communicating. I find that interesting about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then Martha and Mary Magdalene. But what they were testifying about is infinitely more profound. Jesus asks Martha if she believes, and she says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. By the way, the way she asked the question, I think tells us that she was also a student. She said back to Jesus a response from the Pharisees of the day, not the bad Pharisees. Some Pharisees are good some challenge Jesus, you know, kind of meanly. She's, teach, she's saying back to him, they're teaching on the resurrection. So she was a student of the scriptures as well. But at this point, Jesus asks her what she believes, and she says that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The beginning of John chapter 11, Jesus explains to the disciples that he's going to allow all this to happen so that they and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and those that were following would see the evidence of his teaching that he's the resurrection and the life. So even as we've gone kind of all over the Gospels this morning and talked a little about where women can and can't serve in church, the point, far greater, infinitely more profound, is that these witnesses are here 
to convince us by evidence and by the power of the message that Christ, that Jesus is and was the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. For the disciples, for Mary and Martha, and for you and me, this is that we might be convinced that because of the work of Christ, we receive the affection of God, which will never leave or forsake us. That's Martha's profession of faith. I hope that it is yours as well. And if it is not, I hope that you consider the evidence and the story that God is even now pursuing you, calling you to himself to give you the internal peace and joy of the with God life found only in him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for those of us who believe and trust in you, would you help us to believe and trust more deeply that you are indeed the Christ and that because of your work, we receive the affection of the Father. Holy Spirit, for those of us that trust you, would you give us right now a sense of of that affection. Father, I pray for the one that you're pursuing that you would facilitate conversation and prayer and consideration about your gospel. And for the men and women in here that trust you, let that trust flow over them with the comfort and warmth and assurance of affection of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen.